Here we are again, uh, uh, continuing in the book of Colossians. Um, we, we've been uh, tracking some, some exciting stuff. Praise the Lord. <laughs> yes. Um, you know, there's some, there's some exciting things going on, and, and uh, today uh, Paul just couldn't hold back anymore. Uh, so, uh, we're going to jump in to Colossians, and I will start reading uh, chapter 1. I'll start reading at verse 15, Colossians chapter 1, and I'll start reading at verse 15. Paul is continuing uh, here in this verse, and he's switched and turned to the subject of Jesus. He says, he is the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. And he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell. And through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. And you, who once were alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he is now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death, in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Heavenly Father, Lord, we, we thank you uh, for what you hold in, up in front of us, Lord, your very word. Uh, concerning your very word. We thank you, Lord, for this time, for this place to gather, for these people, Lord, for um, your presence now, Lord, mostly. Uh, we pray, Father, that your uh, spirit uh, would move among us, Lord, that in a recognizable way we would encounter you, Father, uh, God, that we would rejoice and worship in spirit and in truth. Um, that hearts uh, would be tender and open to receive, Lord, what you would share. Uh, we thank you for all these things, Lord. All of it is grace upon grace upon grace. Um, let the words of my mouth and the meditation of my heart be acceptable in your sight. Lord, you're my strength and my redeemer. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. For years, there's been an increasing push by the FDA 
for the food industry to expand the information on nutrition and ingredient labels. Uh, now, these labels must not, they must not only include what's inside of the items we buy, but also list in order from the uh, most to least how much of the ingredients are, are in there and the amount of the item we are recommended to have. Uh, now, some labels even list where the ingredients come from. Uh, they can't just anymore just stamp healthy on the front of a package and, uh, and, and, and put it on the shelf. They need to, they need to prove what's in it, that, that what's in it is actually something that's good for you. Um, <clears throat> and the thought, is that the thought is that we will be informed and make good decisions that lead to, to a healthy life. Uh, when, when we have to choose between consuming one thing or another, when we have to choose what we're going to take in, uh, that's the thought, that's the thought. But sometimes the taste buds, they take over. Anybody with me? Uh, 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 sometimes uh, the taste buds overrule what the caloric intake on the, on the label might say. Can I get amen? <laughs> I see people shaking their head. Um, in the scripture today, though, we, we, we get to read what a packaging label on Jesus would sound like. Uh, we, we hear a long list of his natural and spiritual ingredients, and we find out that everything we need for a healthy spiritual life with God is all in him. And that's the, that's the text, that's the title, all in him, all in him. Uh, I'll repeat the background uh, just in case anyone missed it last week. The, while, while this book of Colossians, uh, while being held as a prisoner in Rome, the Apostle Paul received news, the news that some teaching and influences that were contrary to the true gospel were, were pushing into the church at Colossae. Uh, these influences, left unchecked, these influences could ruin the faith of some of the people in the church. So Paul here is led by the Holy Spirit to send this letter to the Colossians addressing and correcting these false teachings. And then after describing what we heard last week and the week before, after describing his thanks and prayers for the church in the letter, Paul breaks here into a poetic hymn about the object of their faith, Jesus, the Son of God. Paul opens the letter, he, he gives thanks, and he talks about his prayer, but then he, he shifts. And, and if, if I would squeeze the sermon down into a sentence, I would say nothing offered outside of Christ can compare to all that's in Christ. Nothing offered outside of Christ can, can, can compare to all that's in Christ. 
Last week, we, we heard Paul begin to describe Christ as the beloved son in whose kingdom the church exists. Now, turning to the exalted nature and work of Christ, Paul lays the groundwork for his case against the false teachers and begins the, uh, by describing the sovereignty of Jesus, uh, the sovereignty of Jesus, and, and he describes it in a few ways, but first he describes it as over all creation, his sovereignty over all creation. He says he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation, for by him all things were created in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or authorities, all things were created through him and for him. And he is before all things, and in him all things hold together. Uh, Paul is giving us a picture of this fullness, uh, this, this kind of language uh, and thought was, was used in the Jewish writings and the Proverbs to describe wisdom and personify wisdom as the agent of creation, being there uh, with God during creation. But according to Proverbs 8.23, wisdom was also created. So here Jesus is exalted over all creation, including wisdom. The first touch point for this exaltation of Jesus over all creation is that he is the image of the invisible God. The word image describes not only the likeness or replica of, of an object, but also the representation of a person or a thing. Uh, he is the physical representation of God who is spirit. Uh, John helps us in, in, in chapter 1, verse 18. He says that no one has ever seen God, the one and only Son who is himself God, and is at the Father's side. He has revealed him. Hebrews 1 and, and, and 3 says that the Son is the radiance of God's glory and the exact expression of his nature. In other words, Jesus' coming made God visible in the flesh. But not only did he, uh, did he display God, he shared his image before creation. Uh, always existing, Christ doesn't share an origin with the creation. As firstborn, he is at the head and holds supreme rank over the creation. Uh, in this case, being, him being called firstborn doesn't point to birth order, but the respect and privilege that the title firstborn son held in families in the Jewish culture, an honor bestowed on some who actually weren't the first to be born, like Isaac or King Solomon. It's the idea of firstborn that's, that's, that's shared in, in Psalm 89 and 27 that says, and I will make him the firstborn, the highest of the kings of the earth. Paul helps the Colossians recognize that Jesus stands over creation by identifying him as the agent of creation. He made it, whether in heaven 
or in earth, visible, invisible, all the seen and unseen things, even the angels, uh, who, who some held up as, as being able to rule over human affairs and being worthy of worship and fear. Paul lists by category, he called thrones, dominions, rulers, authorities, declaring that they all fall under the creations of Christ. They, 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 are, they are subject to him with the rest of creation. All of, it, all of it brought into existence. The entire creation brought into existence for his honor, his pleasure, and his glory. And he's sovereign not only because he's the agent of creation. He's also the power that holds it all together. Everything is dependent on him both to be and to continue. As, as theologian uh, Hanley Moore put it, he keeps the cosmos from becoming chaos. Uh, again, Hebrews 1 and 3 says that he sustains all things by his powerful word. I, I tried to, uh, reading this, I, I tried to consider what, what that would look like, but I, I got to a point that I just stopped wrestling with it after I realized that it meant even the very spikes that fastened him to the cross were being held together by him along with the people nailing him there. So I, I let it go. It, it, it was obviously too much for my small mind. He holds it together. <laughs> Paul doesn't stop, though. Paul said, I, I'm going I'm to dig you deeper into him. <laughs> He's, next, he turns to declare the sovereignty of Jesus over the total church, the entire church, the, the, not just the local church, the total church, uh, that, that new creation. Um, he says, and he is the head of the body, the church. He is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, that in everything he might be preeminent. For in him all the fullness of God was pleased to dwell, and through him to reconcile to himself all things, whether on earth or in heaven, making peace by the blood of his cross. The supremacy of Christ in the church is described in, in natural terms as, as him being the head. In other places, the church as the body is examined in other places in Scripture and the Corinthians. And, but, but here, it's the head that's the focus. And, and it probably should be the head that's the focus. But uh, here is the head. And, and, uh, the, the functions of the head to the natural body, such as leading, directing, and sustaining its, its life, are, are carried out by Christ for his church. Um, you, you can, you can, we all have a natural body. We can understand the importance of the head. Nearly any limb or member could be removed from the body and it could continue living. But if the head is removed, there is no life. In the same way, Jesus is essential. Uh, he, the, the first in authority and priority in the body. The body 
of the church mentioned here is the universal or the total church, the assembly of those who have been gathered by Christ throughout time. Uh, this, this body includes the saints there at Colossae and the, and the saints here at Wilmington. Uh, the, the saints in, in, in uh, Crev, Haiti, and, and, and the saints in North Philly. It, this body encompasses the, the saints that have gone on before us, and, and, and even those to come, like, like Silas and Judah and Adeline. He is the head of the total church. Uh, three, three facts about him that, uh, that allow him to have that claim as head. Uh, first, he is, the, he is the firstborn from the dead, the, the scripture says, meaning here that his resurrection was first in rank and order. No, no one before him was resurrected with a glorified body that would never die again. He began the, the, the new creation with his resurrection, placing him at the head of everything to come after. Well, that's one. Two, uh, uh, the, the fact that the fullness of God dwells in him, I think that qualifies him as head. The fullness of God dwells in him. Everything that is God is in him. All of God's stuff wrapped up. In him, as he walked and talked and served and suffered and died, in the same way that the Old Testament uh, writers would describe, and they would experience uh, how the glory of God would fill the temple in, in the Old Testament times, he was fully present in Christ as he pitched his tent and dwelt among them, as John would say in, in, first, in John chapter 1, verse 14. The fact that the fullness of God dwells in him puts him above any other systems or so-called deities that offered only parts and pieces of peace with God. He, he, he had the fullness. Fullness means that it's all in him. No need to look to anything else. He's a one-stop shop. <laughs> Uh, uh, it's all in him. Lastly, uh, he is the channel of reconciliation between God and all of the broken creation. It was his enduring the violence and death and the shame of the cross that reconciled or caused a change in relationship between God and the creation, beginning with the church. Uh, one, one, one commentator said that uh, sin has defaced Christ's work in creation, but he came to undo its consequences and bring peace in a universe out of harmony with God. His, his reconciliation began a new creation. Although the reconciliation uh, is made possible to all some will receive the some will receive the uh, the peace willingly, and others will be subjected to it. Does that make sense? Are you with me? Some some will accept it openly, and some will be subjected to it. Uh, as Philippians two nine ten says that that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow 
in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Some, some knees will bow now and some will bow then, but everyone's going to bow. Although the reconciliation is, is, is made uh, possible, it still needs to be received. Amen? And it can only be received by the head. Uh, and then lastly here, Paul shifts in this letter, and he, he points to the effects of Christ's sovereignty in the life of the Colossians, in their, in their lives, past, present, and future. Uh, he says, and you who were once alienated and hostile in mind, doing evil deeds, he has now reconciled in his body of flesh by his death in order to present you holy and blameless and above reproach before him. If indeed you continue in the faith, stable and steadfast, not shifting from the hope of the gospel that you heard, which has been proclaimed in all creation under heaven, and of which I, Paul, became a minister. Paul, Paul goes from the, the, the universal scope of creation and the total church, and, and then he zooms in on the Colossians, showing them uh, 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 the implications of all that Christ is and has done, not only in, in the universal, the universal church, but in them. Uh, he reminds them of their past. He shows them uh, 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 that they stood in a place estranged from God and, and their minds were set against God's ways and laws. But not only were their thoughts set against God, uh, they, they backed it up with their actions. Their actions verified that they were set against God. <clears throat> and, and Paul, the, the, the interesting thing is, Paul never had to set foot in uh, uh, Colossae to, to know this information about them. Because this is the nature of all mankind before Christ. He told the Ephesians that before Christ, they were dead in their trespasses and sins. Does anyone remember their B.C. days? That's before Christ. Any, anyone remember those? I knew it would get quiet. Uh, that's, that's before Christ. Uh, those, those, let's go back to the Colossians. <laughs> No, no matter how bad or, or, or good they may have looked, Christ has done a reconciling work for them. It uh, doesn't matter what they looked like on the outside, how prosperous or, or poor they were, how uh, clean or unclean uh, they appeared in their clothing and their dress and their manner. Christ had done a reconciling work for them. Paul goes into their photo album. He picks out that old picture from fifth grade that they don't want anybody to see. You know that picture where you weren't just quite right. You thought you had it together, but you don't want anyone to see that picture. That's what Paul, Paul gives them the before and after. He says, now here's the new picture. This is after the Jenny Craig, the Weight Watchers, the, the style over. This is after Christ. The same Jesus, Paul 
He's driving a point with them. He's driving a point. He, the same Jesus, the, the image of God with the fullness of God, the creator, sustainer, head of all things, has stepped in and took the penalty of death. Now the Colossians have been incorporated into the body of Christ. They stand in the kingdom of the beloved son, a place of peace. He has made them part of the new creation. You know, 2 Corinthians 5 and 17 says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. The old has passed away. Behold, the new has come. New creation. Their, their current and future position before God has been changed from estranged and, and guilty to holy, blameless, and above reproach. In all of this, Christ didn't stand at a safe distance or, or just watch from afar. Uh, he, he took on a body of flesh. He got in there with them, the, the same material body and flesh that some of the false teachers would try to call evil. He took on, he lived in, and, and he died in for these folks in Colossae. Everything they could possibly need is all in him. This exalted, sovereign Christ is the object of their faith. Paul wants to make the point. The, the, the faith that Paul was now also the servant of and carried across the known world, he now urges them to cling to that faith, to be rooted in that faith, uh, to, to, to be participating and rooted in that good news about Jesus, not allowing anything to, to creep in and, and move them from the center of their hope, which is Christ. Paul urges them, the, the identity here and the ingredients of Jesus' person and work described to the Colossians by Paul should have been ammunition against any attack that the church was facing. In other words, uh, uh, sometimes to make an argument, you don't have to say how wrong the other thing is. Just hold, hold up how perfect the right choice is. What about us? Do we need this thou these thousands of years later, do we need to hear this message today along with the Colossians? Do we need to, to hold up Christ as Lord over all things again and be reminded of what our following him should look like? I, I'm, I'm sure we've, we've heard many of these things about Christ before, but this text still begs the question, if this is the Jesus that we serve, what type of church should we be? What kind of people should we be? If this is the Jesus that we claim and that we serve, we should be a people for him, for his, his glory, his honor, his praise, our, our, our priority, our purpose. We should be a people for him. We should be a people walking in the power of the new creation. You remember the first one, God spoke, and there was. Here, 
the power of the new creation is unleashed in the world, in the church, by Christ, in us. We should be a people faithful to the hope of the gospel. You know, culture is, is holding up a different product it wants us to choose. It's calling us to abandon little pieces of our hope and tie it to lesser things, to tie it to things like education and affluence and prestige and position, to chase those things and, and, and to, to, to put things up alongside of Jesus as if he has an equal. He has no equal. Has anything else become your hope? Has anything else become your... We can answer with our minds and we can answer with our mouths, but the true answer is in how we live our lives. If we are these people, and he is our Christ, our lives are going to demonstrate it. We won't need programs. We won't need propaganda. Our lives will hold up this Christ. And knees will bow and tongues will confess that he's Lord. Amen. Heavenly Father, glory to your name. You've, you've, you've given us, Lord, uh, a picture that's almost uh, larger than our, our hearts can truly comprehend, Lord. But you placed your spirit in us. Uh, allow your spirit, Lord, to quicken, to make this word alive in us. To make us, Lord, look like the people of Christ, the people of the new creation, Lord, a people for him. Help us, Lord, to magnify him in our words, our thoughts, our actions, Lord, and to cling to him and only him as our hope. We thank you for this time. We thank you for this word, Lord. We pray that you are glorified. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen, amen.